Amen. Well, good morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are new here today. Some of you waited to get the extra hour of sleep before you come into Chatham Community Church. We're so glad you made it. Welcome. So, so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Alex, and uh, if you're new, what we're all about is really simple. It's all about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage our world for good, whether you are in person or online. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Last week we had an epic crazy first ever event to the Chatham Community Festival. It was so, so good here last week. Just a few fun pictures here from last weekend. Uh, we were, we, that's uh, chips and salsa, anyone? That's fantastic. Uh, it, it, we were hoping or maybe guessing for like 400 people for the whole four-hour event. We had 400 people in the first hour of the whole event. We made, we, yeah, we, yeah, it was so crazy. It was so crazy. We made two emergency runs to Walmart to get more candy. In fact, I was telling someone in the community, they asked me about it, someone who I knew, and said, how did it go last week? I was like, it was so crazy. We did an emergency run to Walmart. And she said, I saw that guy. I was at Walmart. He was just throwing big bags of candy. He wasn't even looking. He was just throwing stuff in. His car was piling hot. Like, we did that twice. Uh, so much fun. So good. Thanks for everyone who came. For those of you who volunteer especially, thank you so, so much. And uh, we're just praying that God uses that to build uh, good relationships and invite people in. If you were there last Sunday and, and you're back here today, welcome. We're so, so glad that you are here and uh, more fun ahead here at John Community Church as we head into the holidays. So good. Well, hey, this is our, our third week of our series called Age to Age. If you're just joining us, we've got a couple goals here for this series. One is that for most of us, our understanding of the Old Testament Bible is like a disjumbled, disorganized closet. We've got a, a smattering of stories, David and Goliath, Noah and the Ark, but we don't know how it all fits together. So goal number one is to help us sort of assemble our understanding of how the Old Testament fits together so that there's order to it. We understand how it fits together. Because every New Testament writer is writing about Jesus as the fulfillment to the Old Testament. Like every New Testament writer loves the Old Testament. It's talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of what's come before him. And so for us to understand Jesus, we have to understand at least a little bit of how the Old Testament fits together. So that's goal number one. Goal number two in all this whole series is to help us understand a better picture of God. Because some of us have a picture or understanding or idea or concept of God where like there's angry God of the Old Testament and nice Jesus kind of comes along and fixes it up and makes us all kind of feel a little bit better. And the, the whole picture of scripture is that God is the same faithful God age to age. He is the same faithful God. God. So we've been drilling down into that. And to help us get our minds around that, we've got this great little bookmark sprinkled about, these orange bookmarks here. Uh, if you're online, you can go to the show more section and download that and print it out yourself. If you've taken one of these already or two of these already, feel free. Take every single Sunday you want. Take them home, take them home. This is the whole Old Testament in one bookmark. Value, value, value here, people at Chatham Community Church. Seriously, come on. So this is the whole Old Testament in one bookmark. It, it puts things in order, helps you understand kind of how it fits together and where it fits together here. And we started there week one with the, with the call of Abram. And what we're going to do throughout the series is we're going to pop up Old Testament books that are either written during this period or that describe this period. And we're going to invite you to write it in so you can understand how the books of the Bible fit there on the t across the top. And there's pencils and pens in the seat pockets in front of you if you want to do that. So for week one, we started in Genesis and the call to Abram and the promise on page 12 of the Bible, that through this one family, God was going to redeem and bless all peoples. That is the story. That is the whole story of the whole Bible. Page 12, God says, I'm going to fix this mess through one family. That goes all the way in to the last page of the Bible as God who kind of makes all things new through this one man. Uh, his name is Jesus. He's part of the family of Abram. So we looked at the call of Abram there in week one. And then we, last week we parachuted into the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Ten Commandments given during the Exodus. But that only comes 
after salvation and rescue has already come. Because the way that God always works is salvation and rescue comes first. The rules come after. The commandments come after. And so we looked at that story last week of kind of God giving the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And today we're going to fast forward to the passage that Greg read. And we're skipping over sort of the, uh, sorry, during this period actually is the writing of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible are historically understood to be written by Moses or under kind of Moses' direction as they are making the way from slavery into the promised land for 40 years. And so they're capturing the story of Israel's God and what God has done. So that's all written during the Exodus. And now today we're going to fast forward a little bit. We're going to skip a bit, and as you get to the settling of the land, you've got Joshua, Judges, and Ruth are all describing that period of time as the people of Israel settle into the land that God promised them hundreds of years earlier to Abram. God said, I'm going to give you this land. And here they are finally settling into that land. And Joshua, Judges, and Ruth tell some of those stories. And today we're picking up at this next section called the United Monarchy. And this is, uh, th these are the glory days of ancient Israel. This, this is the glory. They're the strongest, biggest, baddest, militarily, financially, and spiritually, the healthiest they're going to be in all of Israel's days. And this is a boom time for all of ancient Israel. First and second Samuel's written during this period. First and second Kings is during this period. First and second Chronicles. Kings and Chronicles are telling the same story. They're telling it from different perspectives, but these are history books primarily. First and second Samuel, that's where you get David and Goliath, the life of David, and then his second Samuel, his whole reign uh, as he's finally king. Then you've got the Psalms written and collected by, mostly by David and kind of during his time. And then you've got Proverbs, which is also uh, collected and written by his son Solomon. And you've got Ecclesiastes, also historically understood to be written by Solomon and Song of Solomon. So you've got a lot happening here during this period of time. Again, these are the glory days of Israel. We got like during this period of time, the queen of Ethiopia sends an emissary to learn about the wisdom of Solomon. That people are streaming to Israel. They're seeing that God has done something unique in Israel. So these are the glory days. They're not going to last very long. And in a little bit, there's going to be a civil war. And, and Israel's going to be divided into two nations. And we're going to come to that next week. But for now, this is a beautiful, fruitful time. And the place we're coming to today is the pinnacle moment in the glory days of ancient Israel. The temple dedication. The temple has taken seven years to build. And the passage that Greg read earlier is Solomon's sort of celebration and his great big prayer to celebrate and kind of to sort of, sort of uh, yeah, delight and open up this kind of beautiful building they spent seven years building. And it's one of the longest prayers recorded in the Bible. And so we're going to kind of hit different chunks of it along the way. And here's the good news that Solomon's going to open with that's really good news for you and for me. And the good news that Solomon opens with is, one, God is faithful to his covenant. And two, even better news, God is faithful to his covenant even when his people blow it. Isn't that good news? That God is still faithful to his covenant, his promises, even when his people are not. That's what we see on the opening kind of words of King Solomon's prayer as we drop down in 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 23. We're going to read the first bit that Greg prayed earlier. Then we're going to continue to read another paragraph after that. This is 1 Kings 8, 23. This is uh, Solomon dedicating the temple. Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You've kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, God of Israel, keep, your servant, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor 
to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully, as you have done. So uh, weddings are a part of the job that I really enjoy. Getting to marry people is super fun. Another part of the job that I really enjoy are vow renewal ceremonies. Vow renewal ceremonies are super fun. Uh, a couple years ago, I did a vow renewal ceremony for Holly and Jay Anderson, their 50th anniversary. At 50, I said, I think you might make it, Holly. I think you guys might just barely, may, maybe going to make it okay. Uh, and part of what's fun about vow renewal ceremonies is just watching people, you know, recommit to their, to their marriage at these signature moments. And sometimes people say their original vows at their vow renewal ceremony, but sometimes they write new vows to reflect what they've been through and what they've kind of persevered through, the challenges they've been through or maybe what's ahead. And those new vows, they don't delete the old vows. The new vows are building on the original vows they had made years and years before. Solomon opens his prayer citing God's covenant, God's promises. He says, listen, you keep your covenant of love. And the idea that comes to mind right there is that covenant made to Abram hundreds of years ago that through you all nations are going to be blessed and I'm going to give you this land, this beautiful promise that God had made to Abram. And then Solomon pivots to another set of promises that God had made his father David. To Solomon's father David when he said that you will never fail to have a successor to sit on the throne of Israel. This is the King Forever Covenant. The King Forever Covenant with David was like a vow renewal ceremony. He promises something to Abram. Through you, all peoples are going to be blessed. And then he piles on top of that. Here's how that's going to be worked out. Through the line of King David and all his family, they're always going to be, there's always going to be someone sitting on the throne who will be king, who represents me faithfully to the people. Now, part of what's so striking about this is a passage we looked at this summer. When the people originally asked for a king, God said, bad idea. When the people originally asked for a king, God said, I don't want this. This is not my plan. In fact, God says, you are rejecting me as king by asking for a human king. God says, I don't like this. I don't want this. And what's so striking about this is that even as God says, I don't like this, this category of king, I don't want this. Even then, even when the people first ask for this, God says, this is not going to be good for you. The kings are going to enslave your children. They're going to tax you like crazy. Even though God says there's going to be consequences, you know what God says? Even in the midst of this bad decision he doesn't want them to make, I can work with that. I can work with that. And at the very beginning, he says, I don't want this, but if the king is willing to follow me, I'll bless him. If the king is willing to serve me, I'll bless you through him. And all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, anytime there's a king who serves God, even though God doesn't want it, even though God isn't for it, anytime there's a king who is open to God's hand, God's spirit, God says, I can work with that. And so here comes David, just the second king in Israel's history. After God says, I don't want a king, and God says to David, I tell you what, I love you so much that you will never fail to have a king sitting on the throne from your family line. Isn't that amazing? Even though I didn't want that. So here's this promise. The original covenant to Abram. Through you all people are going to be blessed. Then comes this thing. The kingship that God doesn't want. He says you know what. If you want to do this. I will, I'm willing to work with it. And now he's saying. I will always always give you a king in your line. My friends. Here's the really really good news. God does not script everything. But he can redeem anything. God doesn't script everything. Like all our bad decisions, all the things that we do that are like outside his will, he's not scripting that. He's not, even things that people do to you, God's not creating that, God's not forcing that, but God is a redeemer of anything and everything. 
We see that again throughout the whole Old Testament. Anytime there's a king who's willing to devote themselves to God, even though God doesn't want a king to begin with, God says, I can work with that. So I got some really, really good news for you today. If you made a decision that wasn't good, if you made a decision that has consequences yesterday, last week, a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, and it still plagues you, it still haunts you, you know what the Lord says to you. Come to me. Give it all to me. Give yourself to me. Good news. I can work with that. I can work with that. My friends, is there a mess you've created? Is there a mess you've created? Turn to God with your whole heart, whole life today and say, God, here's the mess. Would you take it and do whatever you want to do with it? I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to give myself to you. I'm willing to follow you. Even if it embarrasses me, even if it costs me money or time or my pride, I'm willing to do whatever God would call me to do. And God says, I love you. Give me the mess. I can work with that. Did you make a mistake in who you married first time or currently? And maybe, here's the deal, like, God's not going to pretend that it wasn't a mistake. God's not going to cover it up. God's not going to, like, pretend it's not a big deal. We're going to call it what it was, particularly if it was something that where you were just, like, didn't care about God, weren't looking for God. God's going to say, no, 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 you were outside my will. And sometimes it is just flat-out sin. We're going to call sin, sin, but here's the good news. Come to me. Bring it to me. Follow me with your whole heart from here on out. I can work with that. Have you spent years of your life chasing after other things besides God? Money, career, family, people's approval, entertainment, just doing whatever you want to? Like, and God was like nowhere in the picture for years and years and years. God's like, I didn't want that for you. That's not, that's not my plan for you. That's not how I designed you to live. But come to me now, today. Bring all that to me. I can work with that. Anyone got any regrets? Stuff you rehearse? I mean, years and years and years later, you're still rehearsing it. Oh, my friends. I got some really, really good news for you. Bring it to the Lord. Lay it at his feet. Surrender it all to him. Give yourself entirely to him. And he says, I see that mess. I know that mess. I love you. You are welcome into my presence. I am for you. Give it to me. I can work with that. Now, part of the challenge that some of us have with this is this whole idea of like giving ourselves over to God, right? Some of us like, I made the mess, I want to clean it up. I made the mess, I want to fix it myself. I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to tell you straight. You doing things your own way is how you got to the mess to begin with. You giving yourself to God is how good comes out of it. Now, coming to God doesn't mean that he erases all the consequences, right? There's still going to be consequences. And there still might be pain and heartache around you. And yet, in the goodness of God, he says, come to me. Nothing you've done can disqualify you from my love or my power of redemption. God brings beauty out of ashes. He pulls redemptive threads out of messes. Come to the Lord. Give yourself fully over to him. I can work with that. You see that right here, King Solomon. Here, the greatest day, the pinnacle day, and the greatest era of Israel's history. It's all led by kings. And God's at work through these kings, King David, King Solomon, to do all these beautiful things. A thing that God didn't want to begin with. God says, you know what, I'm going to work with that to bless all kinds of people, do all kinds of great things. Because there's no story so far gone that God can't say, I can bring good out of that. Your story, no story so far gone that God looks down and does not say, I can bring good out of that. Some way, somehow, because that's what God does. He brings beauty out of ashes. He's the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Follow his light, walk in his ways. He brings beauty out of ashes and redeems brokenness.
So Solomon opens up this beautiful prayer, citing the covenant God made with Abram and the promise God made to King David that there would always be a king on his throne. And, and David had wanted to build this temple, and God says, no, 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 you're a warrior, you shed blood. I want your son Solomon to build it. So Solomon's there, they've been building for seven years. It's a big whomping day, it's a big whomping day, it's a big day to celebrate. But Solomon also recognizes there's a little bit of a tension here with this temple. Because as great as the temple is, as beautiful as the temple is, it has some significant limitations, right? Verse 27, here's how Solomon prays. But will God really dwell on the earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. So Solomon recognizes there's some limitations, right? Like, we're not domesticating God. We're not containing God. This is the problem that religion always has. Religion always thinks it can contain or domesticate God. And God's always saying, nope, I'm always bigger than this. And so Solomon recognizes, hey, this temple can't contain everything that there is about God. God is way bigger than this whole thing. But yet this, this temple is still a gift, a place for the people to sort of fix their heart and their minds and their imaginations, particularly as they pray. Here's how Solomon talks about it, verse 29. May your eyes be open toward this temple, night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you'll hear the prayer, of your, the, the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, that's where you live. And when you hear, forgive. So God had promised that his presence would be there among his people. And so here it's being manifested in this really particular way, right? The, the passage Greg read earlier, the glory cloud, God's very presence fills the temple. They can't even sacrifice. It's so thick with God's presence and this cloud. And, but God's not limited to this place. It's like the, the, the place is this touch point between heaven and earth. And so the people are going to pray toward this place. He, he repeats that over and over and over again. It's the temple as sort of this fixed point where God's like, I'm going to visit there. I'm going to be present there. I'm going to meet people in that place. My presence is going to be there. And this is where God's glory is going to touch the earth. So basically, remember, go back to Abram's covenant. Through Abram's family, all people are going to be blessed. This is command central. What's going to happen? The temple is the place from which all people are going to be blessed. All the nations are going to be blessed through the God who dwells in the temple. And when the people of Jerusalem forgot this, when the people of Jerusalem thought the temple meant they had God's presence in a box, or they had him domesticated, they got smug and arrogant and self-righteous, and they forgot that their job was to bless the nations, and instead they looked down on all the nations. Some of you might remember this famous uh, New Yorker magazine cover in the 1970s. It was, a, it was called A New Yorker's View of the World. Here it is. Here's the famous New Yorker version of the world. So right there at the centerpiece is New York City, 9th Avenue, 10th Avenue. That's the center of the universe for a New Yorker. And then there's the Hudson River. And after that, the Hudson River is someplace called Jersey, which is really smelly and bad. They look down on. And then after New Jersey, it's just big, empty space that nobody cares about. If you live in New York, smug New Yorkers, they're like, yeah, there's a city out there, like a place called Texas and maybe Vegas. And then there's like L.A. and then there's Pacific Ocean and Russia and China. Smug New Yorkers don't care about anything besides what's at the center of their universe. And this is the pitfall the people of Jerusalem fell into when they trusted the temple to be their God rather than the God over the temple to be their God. This place is a gift to them. It is a gift from God that they have a signpost and a place to sort of fix their hearts and their minds to the God of the universe. And God's inviting them to sort of fix their eyes on him and, and sort of the, the temple as the signpost or the marker. God is here, but God doesn't dwell here permanently. God dwells in the heavens. Nothing could possibly contain him. And so 
the, the promise of, the good news of, hey, when you pray, when you hear, forgive. Like when you hear from above, your dwelling place is up in heaven. But when they face toward this place, would you kind of hear this prayer and forgive? So this is a really, really good gift, but it's got some tensions to it. And here's the tension. The tension is this. God gives us signposts. When we confuse the signposts with the God the signposts are pointing to, that's when we get ruined spiritually and otherwise. God gives us signposts, all kinds of signposts. When we confuse the signposts with the God who the signposts are pointing to, that's when we get lost spiritually and otherwise. The temple was a signpost to God, but God was always bigger than the temple. His, his goal was to bless all the nations, but Jerusalem was going to be the epicenter of that work, but it's supposed to spill out to the nations. When the people forgot that, they get ruined spiritually, militarily, economically, the whole thing goes sideways. We're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. We love this building. We set up and tear down, tore down for 14 long, grueling years. Some of you, some of you like have like back surgery to prove it uh, and other things like that. Thank you so much. I see you. We've been so glad to be here. We've been here for like uh, two years. It still feels like new and wonderful and warm to us. About two years. This has been a great place. And many of us have met the Lord in this place. But this place is not the point. God's the point. The building. It's the pointer. Some of us love nature. Isn't fall beautiful? Like fall's beautiful in North Carolina. So many, so many of us love nature. Nature is a tremendous gift. But there are all kinds of people that say nature is my God. My friends, nature is a terrible God. Nature's not a God. Nature is a signpost pointing to the God who created nature. We worship the God, not the signpost. I love the Bible, scriptures. Like, I have memorized the whole book of Colossians. No, no single thing on earth has changed my life more than the scriptures. I meditate on them. I read them every single day. You should meditate on them. You should live your life by them. Allow them to seep into your heart, your mind, your spirit, your consciousness. It will change your life forever. So much wisdom, so much beauty, so much power in these scriptures. However, the scriptures are not God. And some of us grew up in churches where the Trinity was Father, Son, Holy Bible. The scriptures are a beautiful, faithful, reliable signpost telling us who God is, what God's up to. And so we read the scriptures, we study the scriptures, and through them, we follow the signpost to the God the scriptures are pointing to. And this is a tension in any kind of religion, any kind of religious practices, where we take the concrete thing that we can see, and we say, oh, there's God, and we, no, 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 and we forget that the, that the thing that we can see are signposts to the God that we can't see. So here's my question for you. Are you trusting something you can see rather than the God that you were made to worship that you can't? Are you trusting, worshiping, something that you can see rather than the God you're made to can't? This isn't just a religious problem. All kinds of non-religious people find ways to navigate the universe or, or generate luck out of the universe without dealing with the God of the universe. Whether it's a lucky rabbit's foot or your zodiac sign, right? All that is is making the same mistake. It doesn't look as religious. Same mistake. Tarot cards, same thing. Same mistake. You trust in something you can see to try to tell you your future, your fortune, how you should navigate the world, rather than worshiping the God who created you and loved you and who wants to walk with you all your days into eternity. Trusting in something you can see is the mistake people always make. Don't make it. Don't make it. When the people of, when the people of Israel make the mistake, they lose God and they lose their way entirely. And so... When King Solomon is blessing his people, he's trying to put this gift in its proper place. 
Here's the temple. Here's the God who's bigger than the temple. This temple is the place where God's glory dwells, but it doesn't contain God. God is bigger than this thing. And we're going we're gonna to pray towards this place, but we're not, uh, we're not sort of uh, elevating this thing as our God and our salvation. There's a God. His name is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abram. That's our hope. That is our trust. And just like us, these people are going to forget that. And so we see throughout Solomon's prayer how he signals some of the things that might go sideways. Here they are, the pinnacle moment in the greatest season of Israel's history. And Solomon knows this isn't going to last forever. So he's got a few touch points in his prayer where he recognizes how things might go wrong or sideways. Here's an example of that in the prayer, verse 46. When the people sin against you, for there's no one who doesn't sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies, who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they're held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive. And if they pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you've chosen, the temple, they pray toward the temple I built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, that's where you live, but the temple is still a place where you're active. Hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. So this is where the story is headed over the next couple of weeks. As the people of Israel struggle and serve like all these wrong gods and they get lost. And Solomon says, hey, when the people sin against you, God, when the people sin against you, here's, here's a map for how they should fix things and correct things. And here's the map. The Solomon's map is pretty reliable. It's confession because confession, I've done something wrong turn to God with all our heart and soul in obedience to God, and then we have an ongoing prayer, not just a one-off thing, not just like, whoops, sorry, but like ongoing, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm constantly engaging with God, I'm asking for forgiveness, I'm working this out. And if and when you and I are in a bad spot because of our own mistakes, if and when you and I are in captivity or trials because of things that we've done wrong, not a bad map to follow. Confessing, owning God, I made a mistake here. I'm turning to you, all my heart, soul, mind, body, strength, spirit. I'm willing to follow you. And then ongoing prayer. Like this isn't just a one-time thing. Like I am giving myself over to you this day and every day for the rest of my life. I'm going to continue to walk with you and engage with you. And what you're going to see for the rest of the New Testament is, I mean the Old Testament, is people are going to follow this map when they're in trouble. Daniel, Esther. Nehemiah, they're going to pray, they're going to confess the sin of the people, their own sin, and they're going to take crazy risks of faith, and God's going to do amazing things as they follow my, the map that Solomon maps out for them to follow, even especially while they're in captivity. They are far away from God, far away from the temple, and far away from Jerusalem. So after one of the longest recorded prayers in the whole scripture, this is how this whole scene closes here with Solomon and the people. Here's how it closes, verse 65. So Solomon observed the festival at that, at that time and all Israel with them. A vast assembly, people from Libo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more. Fourteen days in all. On the following day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king and then went home. Joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. This is the pinnacle moment in the glory days of Israel, the greatest days of Israel. And what they do to mark it is throw a big party. 14 days. They celebrate, they celebrate, they celebrate. They're celebrating the God who is faithful from age to age. Do you know what one of the saddest things is? One of the saddest things to me is when people are in their glory days 
and they, they look back and realize they missed it. They missed it. Too busy. Next thing. Too caught up in all the stuff. All the busyness, all the work, all the whatever. And they don't step back and realize, oh, there's so much here to celebrate, so much goodness. For some of you, the, most, the best thing you could possibly do this week is to step back from your life and go, you know what? There's so much blessing right here, right now. Some of you, the best thing you do in your life, step back from the busyness, step back from the rat race. Big or small ways. Throw a party, throw a small party, celebrate it, get a gratitude journal. Find a way to enter into the wonders of what God's doing around you. Because one of the saddest things is to, is to be right in the middle of uh, the greatest days of your life and to miss it entirely because you're too busy chasing after other things. That's where we're going to land as we get today's, to today's wildly important take-homes. First of all, the most important thing here is that God's a covenant-keeping God, a blessing God, even when his people are not. That is the good news that this whole thing rises and falls on. That even when God didn't want a king and the people demanded a king, God gave them a king. And not just like gave them a king and said, well, this is going to be miserable. He gave them a king and said, I'm going to bless this person as long as they're faithful to me. I'm going to bless you through them. And he does amazing, amazing, amazing things. Even through a decision he didn't want them to make in the first place. And so the first question for you this morning is, is there a mess you've created? Really good news. And if you're here today for the first time or first time in a long time, you have just hit the jackpot. This is the best news you can hear today. Turn to God. He says to you and to me in love, I can work with that. I can work with that. Don't hide behind shame or guilt. Don't let any voice tell you that God doesn't want you or you're not worth it. Don't let anything keep you from turning to the Lord who loves you so much and you can step into any mess to redeem any mess. Give it over to the Lord. Trust him, follow him all your days. He says, I can work with that. In Solomon's prayer, he gives us a little map for how we might do that. What? One's confession, right? Acknowledging that I've done something wrong. Acknowledging my sin, not hiding, we're not papering it over, pretending everything's okay. We're calling it what it is. We're turning to God with all our hearts and obedience and receiving that grace and then ongoing engagement and prayer. We're not just doing a one-off kind of thing. This is an ongoing thing that we're doing. This is a great map for how we might sort of move with the Lord, especially when we're in a bad spot because of something that you and I have done. In the midst of Solomon's prayer, a good question for us, is there something that you're trusting that you can see and hold that God says, no, 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 that is a, maybe it's a signpost. Maybe it's just not even a signpost. Maybe it's something you need to get rid of entirely in order to worship the God you were created to worship. The God that you can't see, but who loves you and created you and made you for himself. Is there something that you're trusting, worshiping even, that you can see, touch, feel, that God says, no, 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 let go of that and come, follow me. And then finally, is it time to celebrate something? Time to celebrate something. Either some big or small ways you've seen God be faithful to you. Is there a way that this week God would invite you to step in and say, hey, don't miss all the beauty around you right here, right now. Don't miss all the goodness I'm doing right here, right now in your life. Is there some way you need to step into that? Again, in big or small ways. To, to name and to mark the God who has been faithful to you age to age. And this call to celebration and this call and this discussion of sort of something as a pointer to a larger thing is a great, way, great place for us to land as we move to our time of communion again here today. Because here are some signs given to us by Jesus to a larger reality of his grace and his mercy. Jesus, a couple thousand years after this whole temple dedication thing, is in a small room with some of his best friends. And in order to fulfill the covenant God made with Abram, that through Abram's family, all people are going to be blessed. Some way, somehow, there's going to be someone who comes along who blesses all people. And then in fulfillment of the covenant God made with David, that in David's line would be a king who is on the throne forever and ever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. Amen. Jesus gets his friends together. He's going to lay down his life to fulfill both those promises on one glorious, horrible, beautiful 
night. Jesus takes bread. He says, this bread is now a sign. He breaks it. He says, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then he takes the cup. He says, this cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Another sign to point us to the great grace and mercy of God. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so we gather around these signs and we celebrate what they point to. The King of kings, Lord of lords, the one through whom all nations will be blessed, the King who will be on the throne forever and ever. As we move to our time of communion, just a few things. First off, if you have given your life to Jesus at some point, declare that to body believers somewhere, then this meal is for you. It's not Chatham Community Church's table, it's the Lord's table. If you belong to Jesus, this meal belongs to you. If you are not yet a Christian, haven't yet sort of made that step, we're so glad you're here. We just invite you to consider what the Lord has done for you, forgiving your sins. Would you be willing to give your life over to him who brings good out of all things, beauty out of ashes? We're going to move to our time of communion. The bread is gluten-free, the cup is grape juice, so everyone's invited. And then we're going to ask you to come to these stations and then bring them back to your seats and just sort of sit with them for a little bit. And then uh, I'll get back up and we'll eat and drink together. One other thing uh, available to you is we have a great prayer team. The prayer room is available right over there through those curtains. And the prayer team is here for you this week. If you need something, anything, if you're carrying in a regret that you want God to set you free from, if you want to walk out of here lighter and freer, the prayer team is there for you. You got something else going on, medical stuff, family stuff, marriage stuff, kids, small kids, big kids, financial issues, anything at all. Prayer team is there for you. They'd be glad to pray for you with no judgment or anything. They just listen and they'll pray for you and give you the gift of being interceded for. So opportunities abound for you to know the grace and mercy of Jesus as we gather around this meal. Let's pray together as we move to our time of communion. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for your grace and your mercy, for being King of kings and Lord of lords. And now as we receive this sign of your grace, as we receive this sign of your covenant, we want to receive it with open hearts, open hands, and with great joy. So come Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name that you might help these signs to come alive to our hearts and our imaginations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.